Bonjour à tous, bienvenue, welcome today to Moncton Wesleyan, and thank you so much to our amazing team, all of our tech folks, all of our small group leaders, and the list goes on and on and on of people who are making the church be alive and move forward in its mission Thank you for all that you're doing, all that you're giving, the ways that you're serving others in your community to share the love of Jesus. Listen, the church will not be held down. Amen? All right. Well, here's the question. Uh, we ask around here, uh, voici la question, est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready to study God's word today? If so, put something in, in the comments. I don't know what you want to write. You could say, yeah, buddy, or let's go, or I love Jesus. Put something if you're ready to study God's word today. Now, today we start this brand new series for the month of December called A Weary world rejoices. And I wonder right now how many of you, how many of you are feeling weary in this world right now? Yes? And, and, and in the midst of our weariness, I think the most important question we can answer is, what do you do when Jesus shows up in your situation? You see, different people respond differently. Some people, in their weariness, reject and resist Jesus. Other people, in their weariness, rejoice in Jesus. And one of the most important questions in your life is, how do you respond when Jesus shows up? Now, the place where Jesus arrived on the scene and showed up first was a little town called Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard the song. Well, Bethlehem was a little town. Here in, in Israel, this uh, southern territory was known as the land of Judea, and the capital was Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the big city and Bethlehem is kind of like a little suburb outside of the big city. And of course, Jesus is born here. But today we're going to see that a lot of what happened in the Christmas story also took place in the big city of Jerusalem. Now let me show you what it looks like today. Here's, of course, the famous skyline of modern day Jerusalem. If you've never been there, I know some of you have. If you'd like to go, uh, then we have our next trip there scheduled, not this coming March 2021, but 2022, a year from this March, uh, just a little over a year from now, we're going to be taking our next group there. Uh, let us know if you'd like more info about that. But, but what is the most noticeable building here in Jerusalem? It's, of course, this building right on this big platform that you see with a wall surrounding it called the Dome of the Rock, this large gold-roofed dome. Now, that building is really, really old. It was built in 591 AD by the Muslims, uh, and so it is over 1,000 
three, I'm sorry, I said 591, 691, 691 AD. In my mind, all of a sudden, I'm like, the math's not right. 691 AD. So that building is over 1,300 years old. Now, where does it stand? Well, it's believed that it stands on the very place where the temple stood in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. And so this city, this place is where so much happened that we read about in the Bible. And today in this grand city, the holy city of Jerusalem, we're going to meet today four different groups of people and discover how they responded when Jesus showed up. And I wonder who you might be able to relate to the most today. And so the first person we're going to look at is King Herod. Herod resisted Jesus. If we look at the, the story in, in Matthew chapter 2, we find that not only does he resist Jesus, actually he was scared to death of this newborn baby. And so one day he received some visitors to his palace in Jerusalem, which not so long ago was uncovered by archaeologists. It's kind of cool. But, but in, his, in his palace in Jerusalem, he received some visitors, and here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And so this gets Herod upset. Look at what it says next. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all Jerusalem be disturbed with him? Well, there's an old saying. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. It goes like this. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, maybe that's just a southern statement. I don't know. Uh, we lived in Alabama for 10 years before we moved uh, here to, uh, to Canada. And, uh, and that was a common expression there. And, and even if you don't understand some of the, the regional language, I think you get the point. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, the, the same was true with Herod. People know that when Herod is unhappy, when Herod gets upset, people die. For example, 40 years before this, when Herod first took the throne uh, under the, uh, the Roman Empire and, and was given the territory known as uh, what we call today the area of Israel, when he was given that territory, one of, his, one of his very first acts as king was to order the death of all the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. That is over 70 top religious leaders in Israel who were killed just by his executive order. Later, he put to death his brother-in-law, his wife, his mother-in-law, he even killed three of his own children, all because he was afraid of anyone who would challenge his leadership, anyone who would challenge 
his authority. Caesar Augustus said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be his own son. And so that's why the people in Jerusalem are disturbed with Herod because they know that when Herod gets disturbed, people die. Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And so the Magi realized that Herod was lying, that, that this was a trick, and so they skip off out of town in the opposite direction. And down in verse 16, it says, when Herod realized that he had been, had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he did a horrible thing. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This event is called the Massacre of the Innocents. And, and one of the things that you will find when you study history is some people point to the fact that this particular event, the, the, the Massacre of the Innocents, doesn't show up in any historical record outside of the Bible. And so some people say, well, well there you go. That's proof that the Bible just kind of makes some stuff up. If, it, if it's not in some other historical record, only in the Bible, then it, it probably didn't happen. But, but not so fast. Because take this into account. Listen, Bethlehem was just a, a very small little town maybe a few hundred people who, who lived there. And, and, and in a population like that, how many babies would there be, boys, two years and under? I, I don't know, maybe 10? Well, 10, Herod sometimes killed that many people before breakfast. And so, so this was, was historically considered a non-event, why would it be recorded outside of the Bible? This was so commonplace in that day. And can I just add that that kind of violence, especially violence against children, is absolutely satanic. The Bible says that, the, that Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And what he wants to do is, is drive fear into your life. He wants you to be afraid. Listen, my friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have no reason to be afraid in this world. We have the promise of heaven. We have the promise of eternity. And even if this, if this world persecutes us or kills us, we don't have to be afraid because instead of fear, we walk in faith. You want to get an amen in the comments right now. And here's why. Listen. Fear is dangerous because fear is toxic. The reason our enemy uses it against us is because when we are fearful, we tend to make unhealthy and even toxic decisions.
decisions. Now, why did Herod do this? Herod's resistance to Jesus was driven by fear. The fear of losing control. The fear of not being able to just do whatever he wanted to do. We call it self-determination or, or self-autonomy. The ability to do just whatever I want without any inside interference. Nobody to tell me what to do. Herod did not want to be interfered with in his life. Now, I, I wonder, where is it in our lives that we are resisting Jesus? Maybe... Maybe we're afraid to surrender our, our finances to God because we're afraid of what God might ask us to do. We're afraid of what the Bible says about tithing our income to the work of God and, 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 and beyond that 10%, giving to, to missions and to, the, to serve the poor and to help people in need. And that's scary because we're, we're not sure if we can trust God. And so we're more likely to do finances the world's way rather than God's way. See, fear leads us to make toxic decisions. Maybe for some of us, we're afraid to surrender our sexuality. We're afraid of what God might ask us to do. Maybe, maybe we're afraid of surrendering our children to God because we kind of have this idea that my job is just to keep my children safe in this nice little bubble. But then God calls young people to, to go out just like older people and to go out and do radical things in the name of Jesus and, and maybe to go into missions or, or to, to make choices that the world just doesn't understand. God never called us to a safe life. And so maybe we're afraid to surrender our children to Jesus. Some people resist God with their attitude or maybe with an unforgiving spirit because somebody's hurt me and we know that God wants us to forgive that person and so we're afraid to surrender because we're afraid that we can't trust that God will take care of it in the end and so we hold on to that bitterness or, or an attitude or we say, well, people are mean to me. I reserve the, the right to be mean to them. And so, like Herod, sometimes we resist Jesus because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do or what he might require us to give to him. Now, who else do we meet here in Jerusalem when Jesus was born? Well, next we meet some other people who knew about Jesus but they didn't care. In Matthew chapter two, if you go back to verse four, it says, when he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And that word Christ in Hebrew, that's the word for Meshiach or Messiah. And so he asks these, these teachers of the law, these chief priests, these educated people, where is the Messiah to be born? And we find that they actually knew a lot about it. Look at what they said. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And so apparently there were a bunch of people in Jerusalem who who knew the truth, but they didn't care enough to do anything about it. It kind of reminds me of an article uh, that, that someone shared a few years ago about a place in Italy. On April 6, 2009, there was a terrible earthquake in Italy in the region called L'Aquila. Uh, 308 people died in that earthquake. There were scientists and officials who knew the earthquake was coming but they didn't bother to warn the general public. Not long after, an Italian court convicted them and sent them to jail. Six scientists and one public official were convicted of manslaughter because they kept the information that they knew to themselves. And in Jerusalem, that kind of reminds me of what the chief priests and the the teachers of the law did. They knew the truth. They knew the prophecies. They knew that it was to happen in Bethlehem. They knew more than most people, and yet, even though they knew the Bible, they did nothing about it. They just didn't care. And, And I don't know if you can relate to that, or maybe you can think of people in my life, I can think of people who maybe That kind of sounds like they they know a lot about God, but really don't care enough to pursue him. And so, in the Christmas story in Jerusalem, we see these two bad examples of how to respond to Jesus. Now, let's look at two really good examples. Are you ready? Now, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and in Luke uh, chapter 2, we're going to find here, uh, a man named Simeon. And, and Simeon, even though he was weary, we're going to see that he's an old man and he is feeling weary in this world, but Simeon rejoiced in Jesus. He's so different than Herod, who, who was living in fear and selfishness. He's so different than the religious leaders who are living in apathy, who just don't care. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or, or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before He had seen the Lord's Christ. So that tells us something. He is looking for the Savior. Continuing, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, took him in his arms, And praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, 
when you can look back at those words, it kind of seems like a funny picture to me. We saw the picture of what the temple looked like in, in Jerusalem when, when Jesus was born and those outer courts. And so I can just picture Simeon being there. And, and what I see when, when I read this story is, is Simeon running up to the parents, Mary and Joseph, who bring in little baby Jesus. And he runs over and it says he took the baby in his arms. Now, I, I don't think the Bible says this, but I kind of picture it like the Lion King. He holds up the baby. Hey! You know, it's, it's this amazing scene to me. And, and, and then he starts to say something to the crowd. He says, now, he's holding the baby, he says, now I can die in peace. Now I can finally die. If I was Mary and Joseph, I'd be saying, pepper spray, call the police. But what we see here is that, that, that Simeon was different. While everybody else in the temple is going on about their business, when Jesus shows up on the scene, while the rest of Jerusalem is going on with their lives as if nothing has happened, Simeon looks at this baby and he has spiritual eyes to see that which others don't even notice. And he says, here is the salvation of the world. In fact, that's what the name Jesus means. In Hebrew, it was pronounced Yehusheua. It means the salvation of God. Simeon stood out from the crowd. He was different than everybody else around him. He, there was something special about this man because he had spiritual eyes to see what the rest of the crowd just walked on by and didn't notice that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the next person we meet here in Jerusalem happens right after this in the temple. We're still in Luke 2. Look down at verse 36. So right after Simeon finished speaking, it says there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. You see, the focus of her life is 100% is devotion to God. And when I, when I was studying this this week, and I looked at Simeon, and I looked at Anna, these older people who are modeling faithfulness. I'm reminded of so many older followers of Jesus who have taught me so much. People here in this church, so many times when we do funerals for some of our senior saints, I'm in awe when I hear the stories of how decade after decade they serve God faithfully. They stand out from the rest of the world. They share the love of Jesus. They have this hope in their heart. And even facing death, there's no fear because they have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm just reminded of that with Simeon and Anna, how thankful I am for the older saints who have taught me so much. Verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. She spoke about the child to all 
who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna shared the light of Jesus. Number four, Anna shared the light of Jesus with others. She went around telling other people that that Jesus Christ is the light of salvation who has come into the world as the redemption for our sins, as our forgiver and savior. And she went and told others about him. Now, I wonder this Christmas, 2020, if maybe even in the midst of all this COVID stuff and all the problems, in fact, maybe even because of all of the things going on and the stress and how weary our world is right now. If we need more than ever before people like Simeon. We need people like Anna. Simeon who had spiritual eyes to see what everybody else didn't see. Who had the ability to look into the situation but see things not as the world sees them, but with the eyes enlightened by the Holy Spirit to see spiritual truth. And and that maybe, like Anna, we need to be able to, to share the light of Jesus with others. I, I, I think about our small groups and how Many of them are finding creative ways, even in in the midst of all of these limitations, to to reach out and share the love of of Jesus with others in this difficult season. Uh, I I think about how things are, are so different now when it comes to, in this particular season of life, how unlike any other time before, even though there are challenges in in sharing the love of Jesus with others, there are also unprecedented opportunities. That's why it amazes me. I am so grateful. And I know that you kind of get tired sometimes of, of hearing us say, remember to hit the share button. Remember to share and invite others. Send text to people. Hit the share button, whether on YouTube where you have to copy it and paste it and, and share it somewhere else, or whether it's on you know, Facebook where you just hit the little button and you're like, why are you always telling us to do that? It's because Anna took every opportunity to tell everyone about Jesus who would listen. And now it's, it's almost easier than ever, even though there are challenges. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that things are easy. But when it comes to the opportunity for other people to hear the good news of Jesus, years ago, they would have had to, to get the courage to crawl out of bed in the morning and, and get in the car and go to some church where, and, and be intimidated by being a, around a whole bunch of strangers and not knowing what to expect. And, and, and people didn't feel safe. It was, it was a scary, intimidating experience. But now it's so powerful that, that you can share the good news by just taking a couple of steps online and that people were hearing the stories again and again each and every week. Did you hear it in the pre-service last week? The young lady in Nova Scotia, a young mother who because of online ministry, she's exploring the hope of Christ in a way that she says she never has before. And she says it probably would have never happened if not for 
online services from churches like Moncton Wesleyan and others. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you this season to take that challenge seriously, to stand up for Jesus, to share and invite others to experience what God wants to do in their lives. I came across this fictional story, a parable that I want to share with you, and it, it reminds me of Anna. Long ago, or maybe not so long ago, there was a tribe living in a dark, cold cavern. These cave dwellers would huddle together and cry against the chill. They complained and, and suffered in the cold, in the dark. It was all they did. It was all they knew to do. See, the people had never known joy. The spirit in the cave was death, but the people didn't know it, for they had never experienced life. But one day, they heard a voice speaking in the darkness. I have heard your cries, the voice said. I have felt your cold and seen your darkness, and I have come to help. The cave grew quiet. They were afraid of this strange voice. They said, how can we trust you? You're not like us. Get out of this cave. We're better without you. But the voice would not leave. And soon they could hear the sound of wood being stacked. What are you doing? The voice said, I'm here to help. And the stranger stooped in the darkness and, and continued to stack the firewood in the middle of the cave. And when the stack was complete, the fire was lit, wood ignited, flames erupted, and the cavern was filled with light. The cave people shielded their eyes. Put it out, put it out. It hurts our eyes. And the stranger said, trust me, this light is what you need. Come close to the fire. No, they cried, only a fool would expose his eyes to such light. The stranger standing by the fire said, you prefer the cold? You prefer the darkness? Don't listen to your fears. Come over here and enjoy the warmth of my fire. The cave people continued to hide in the darkness. But then a woman decided to step forward, slowly, step by step, she approached the stranger. Slowly, she inched towards the light of the fire. Soon, she rejoiced. It is warm. She embraced the fire maker. Thank you, thank you. The cold was gone as she fell into his arms. But then, she remembered her her friends and family. She turned back to the crowd and said, everyone, come, there's room here for you. She said, come to the light. But the people mocked, silence, woman, we're fine over here in the darkness. And there they huddled, shivering in the cold corners of the cave. Finally, she turned to the fire maker. 
Why won't they come? Why won't they trust you? And the fire maker said, the cold is all they've ever known. They don't know what it's like to be warm. They'd rather be cold than change. And remain in the darkness, she asked. Yes, he said. That's why they prefer the dark. The woman stood by the fire. Her heart was heavy. She longed for them to be warm as well. The fire maker asked, do you want to leave the warmth and go back to your people? She answered, I cannot. I, I can't bear to go back into the cold now that I know what it's like to be warm in your light. But neither can I bear the thought of my people living in darkness. You don't have to, said the fire maker. And he reached into the fire and he removed a stick, the end ablaze in flame. He handed her the torch and said, you can carry this light to your people. Tell them to come to me. Go and invite them to experience it for themselves. And the light is here to bring warmth for anyone who will come and receive it. And so she took the torch and she stepped out into the shadows to go to her people. And so Heavenly Father, we pray today for each and every one of us in this challenging season, help us to be torch bearers, to, to carry your light to people in the midst of the darkness of this cold, cold world. Lord, we pray that every effort that is made, not only by this church, but every church in our community, in our region, in our province, in our country, and around the world, that you would especially bless the efforts of churches this Christmas season to reach out, to share the love of Jesus. Lord, the people that we invite, even if it's as simple as hitting that share button and inviting people personally to hear the good news of Jesus. Lord, that you would use those efforts, whatever great efforts there may be, and no matter how small our efforts might be, that we'd, you would use these for your glory and bring many to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And right now we pray for anybody who's with us living in darkness. Maybe we've been resisting Jesus like Herod. Maybe we've been ignoring Jesus like the religious leaders. But whatever the case right now, maybe your Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, come to the light. Jesus, who is the salvation of the world, the redemption, not just for Israel, but for all who will receive. And so right now, if that's you, if you're ready to pray and receive him into your life, would you just open your heart and say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I've been trying to do life on my own. 
And I know today that you love me. I know that you have prepared a way for me. And so I receive Jesus as my Savior. Jesus who died on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. Receive him right now. Invite him to take control. Submit and surrender to him. And right now, Lord, we make the commitment to follow you in faithfulness like Simeon and like Anna. In the name of Jesus, amen.